This is our family. Uh, I'm Annie. This is my wife, Lindsay. These are our three children, Sophia, Lucas, and Zoe. And uh, is Sophie going to sing? Okay. Yeah. Our daughter would like to sing a song for you. Lucas, Lucas, did you want to sing? No? Okay. They are dressed, uh, this is the um, kind of the uh, traditional uh, southern Spanish dress, uh, the kind of flamenco dress, and Lucas is, is in a traditional 19th century uh, outfit. Okay. Okay, good morning. <laughs> um, I know that as a missionary, I'm supposed to share something from uh, Matthew 28 on the Great Commission or something like that, but uh, I'm not your typical missionary, so I will not be talking about uh, missions this morning. Instead, I will be talking about uh, um, something that's been on my heart for maybe three or four years now, and uh, I think it's very important for the church to hear this message. So um, I'd like to talk about the big story about what God is doing in our world, uh, about who God is. Uh, who we are, uh, what we've done, and what he's done. Um, so what I want to do this morning is just share with you three simple thoughts. Um, number one is that God is love and that he created us to enjoy, to live in his love. Number two we have rejected God's love. And number three, God has chased after us, and he's inviting us again to live in his love. That's really what I want to share this morning. Uh, would you please go with me to Genesis chapter 1? Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1. You are going to Genesis 1, and you are in verse 1, and you want to begin reading your Bibles. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, you can't see it. It's not there in Genesis 1. But the most important thing that has ever happened or that ever will happen in the universe has already happened. It's happening right now, and it will be happening forever. You can't see it there in Genesis 1, but it's there. I'm in the New Testament. 1 John 4, 8, one of the first Bible verses that many of us memorized. What does it say? God is love. God is love. Now, have you ever just stopped to think about that, that God is love? Do you know that it is impossible for one single solitary person to love? I mean, we've all heard the cliche that love is a verb, right? 
Who was God loving? It doesn't say that God became love when he created us. It says that God is love. Who has God been loving? And now I go to one of the most important verses in all the Bible, which is in John 17. Now you stay there in Genesis and just listen to this verse. John 17, here we find the answer, who God the Father has been loving. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me. And this is the key, because you have loved me from before the foundation of the world. You see, you can't see it there in Genesis 1, but with the coming of the Son, we find out that God has always existed in perfect love. Father, Son, and Spirit, fully knowing and fully delighting in Himself. God is love. God is perfect. Let me tell you why this is so incredibly profound and so incredibly foundational for us as Christians. God did not create this world from any lack or any deficiency that He had. Have you ever thought of that? God did not need to create us. God is love. There was already perfect communion, already perfect fellowship. There was already the one turning towards the other and vice versa. Emptying of themselves and being filled by the other. There was already perfect communion and relationship. No lack, no deficiency. This is why it's so important. You and I, creation, we are the result of the overflowing love of God. We are here because there is an abundance of love between Father, Son, and Spirit. They decided to create, and in that creation, to invite us into this warm relationship of love. I know full well that it is impossible to illustrate the Trinity, okay? I know that full well, and I'm not going to do it this morning. But with that said, I'd like to give you an illustration of the Trinity, okay? <laughs> My wife and I, when we got married, uh, we had truly a full relationship. I fully knew and delighted in my wife and she and me. I knew myself more clearly because of her and she knew herself more clearly because of me. I emptied myself and was filled with her. She emptied herself and was filled with me. There was fullness of relationship there, okay? And it was precisely because of that fullness of relationship that we came together and had life. We created. So far, we've created three. <laughs> now, I know that that is an imperfect illustration of God, but I think it helps us understand a little bit of what God is doing with creation. You and I are here because of an overflow of love between Father, Son, and Spirit. And I told you to go to Genesis 1, but just over in Genesis 2, 
we read this and we don't realize how profound it is. Like we just don't read our Bible slowly enough. Okay? I have read almost every and maybe every creation story from the ancient Mideast. I've read them all. And there is a common link that is in all of them. You will always find one or two things. You will always find incest between the gods and you will always find murder. And out of incest and murder, that's how humans are created. In all of these ancient stories, the same time that our Bible was being written by Moses through inspiration of the Spirit, all these other stories say, you know what, we, we, come, we, we're, we are here because of incest, because of murder between the gods. That's how we understand ourselves as humans. Now, just read Genesis 2 and verse 7. The Lord formed man from the dust of the ground. And how did he bring him to life? If you're thinking to yourself, that is almost blasphemously intimate, God's relationship with his creation, God's relationship with us and creation, you are getting it. Like God invites us into his life through his spirit. And God told us to fill the earth with his glory in his love. That was God's plan for us, <laughs> to live in his love. Now, I am going to continue talking about this theme of love, okay? But for the moment, I want to set this aside, and I want to talk about something else, okay? You can think of this as a digression. <laughs> I think this may be the most important part of the message, though, because we are in Genesis 1, and I think it's very important that we have this very clear in mind the importance of creation for us as Christians, especially in our times. Genesis 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, look at this language here, okay? The earth was without form, void, darkness, all right? This is the language, this is the imagery that the Bible uses when it wants to talk about death and uselessness and chaos, okay? I don't want to get into the debate of whether that stuff is actually here or not. I'm just saying this is the language that's being used. It's evoking something useless, chaos, not good. God has not filled this with his love yet, not filled it with his order, Look at what God does. God begins to create. Okay? And what you will see over and over again in the creation story is that God takes this chaos, formless, void, and he separates it. And he says, this is light and this is darkness. This is good and this is good. Complementary, good things. 
But there's a difference. Light is light and dark is dark. And then he does this and he separates. And he says, this is sky. And this, these are the waters below. And there's a difference. And there's a relationship between the two. It's good. And then he does this. And he says, this is ocean and this is dry land. Okay? He just does this over and over again. God, through his spoken word, literally constructs reality. And he does it by reason, by logic, by dividing and separating, by organizing, by naming. God did it again when he said, this is man and this is woman. Like, that's really important. It's good. And what our culture is doing today is bringing back on itself the floodwaters of chaos when we mix these things, when we say there is no difference. This is formless, it's void. It's darkness. It's chaos. It's not God filling the earth with his love, with his order, with his goodness, and saying, look, there's a difference. There's a relationship. It's good, but there's difference. I mean, do you just stop and think of how basic this is? <laughs> like, men and women are different. Yeah, wow. It's approaching the status of something illegal to say that. And it all goes back to Genesis. Like, we're not there yet, but you, we don't understand when Satan tempted Adam and Eve, he was saying, you can be God's. You don't have to live in this reality anymore. I'll give you another reality. You can create your own reality. But when God's reality is love and life and goodness and truth, and we turn our back on that reality and we construct a new reality, there's nothing left for us but chaos. But that's exactly what our culture wants. It wants to sever the ties that we have with God. But when we do this, we do this. Does that make sense? You have to make a decision what your authority is going to be. Your heart has to be ravished by God's goodness and love and the beauty and goodness of order and truth, or your heart has to be ravished by the message of our culture, which will always be changing. God has spoken. He's given us reality. Do you know what I'm doing right now? Like right now, do you know what I'm doing? I am trying to give you a reality. I'm trying to create. 
I'm trying to bring order. It's my prayer that the reality that I'm giving you is this reality. Okay, that's what preaching is. You know that? Like every Sunday, the pastor is trying to give you God's love, His goodness, create reality for you and to make it beautiful. Not just something that's oppressive like obey, 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 but something that makes you, it ravishes your heart. Like, I want that. But reality that is true and good and beautiful, that's what preaching is. That's what you're doing as parents for your kids. My kid's reality is shaped by my spoken word. Don't do that. Give your mom a kiss. Clean your room. Like, this is reality for them. By my spoken word, do you see the power that God has given us in our speech? You know, in the book of Proverbs where it says the power of life and death is in the tongue, that's not just a throwaway proverb, like, okay, let's go on to the next one. There is a lot of depth to that. You have power. A terrifying power. <laughs> Let me get back to the man and woman thing. Um, I know that this is a horrible uh, reduction of the vast message of Scripture, but it's thus far the best short uh, message that I can condense it into is what it's to be a man and what it's to be a woman. Okay? Men, God has given you a gift, a certain way of reflecting God himself. We were created to reflect the strength of God. Okay? I mean, it's even written into our bodies. All right? Like these shoulders were meant to carry a load. They were meant to throw my kids up in the air. They were meant to build a house, to farm. The strength of God to forge ahead, to create reality, to be a trailblazer. God has made us like that as men to be awesomely powerful. And it's good to be powerful. To reflect the strength of God. That's a good thing. And by the way, you will not hear this outside of the Bible in America. You will hear that power and authority are bad. And you know what you'll hear about men? Men, you need to be more like women. And by the way, uh, women... Do you know what message you're getting? You need to be more like men. It's this, okay? And you see it in clothing, and you see it in um, movies and character development. You see it in haircuts. You see it in everything. Like, 
the roles are being reversed, you know. It's just frustrating me, like Disney. I watch these shows with my kids, and all of the guy characters are losers, like absolute zeros. And all of the girls always save the day because a loser man screwed everything up. And a loser man keeps betraying her and screwing things up. And then she wins the day. Now, I'm not against powerful women. Like, I'm not against that at all. I'm just saying, does the guy have to be a loser on every episode? Like, what about a strong man? You know? But here's the key, all right? Because outside of Christianity, you will get the hell on earth that we have seen with power. Like, you will get Adolf Hitler, okay? This is the key. Men, you were created to reflect the strength of God in an awesomely powerful way and to use every ounce of your energy to serve other people. That's power. You know why I know that's power? <laughs> because that's the cross. And the Bible says that's power. Servant leadership. Die to yourself for others. That's what it is to be a man. To be a man is a call to die to self. <laughs> It's a call to sow life into others and to watch others flourish. And the world hates this message. You have to make a decision, men. And you have to be aware. Like, you have to wake up and just know that you're being lied to. Like, at every level, it's wrong and stand on the Bible and embrace the Bible men you will never be more of a man than when you're a biblical man and women you will never be less of a woman than when you fully embrace modern feminism okay like ladies if you want to just torpedo yourself as a woman self-destruct, then just embrace the ideology that's being shoved down your throats. Men were created to be the strength of God. Women were created to reflect the softness of God. Like, when my kids hurt themselves, they want mom. <laughs> When my kids are scared, they want mom. And that's good. I mean, I kind of take it personally, like I want them to want me, you know. But she was created for that. It's good. But ladies, use your softness in such a way that it's Strength. When my kids are throwing a temper tantrum in the store, okay, we all know what dad wants to do. 
we're at point A, we want to get to point B, you're coming along whether you like it or not. A mother should, in such an incredibly, powerfully soft way, patiently invite that child into a new reality. To love that child into sanctification and holiness. Not like the power of a man, but the softness of God. You know, when we read this morning in 1 Thessalonians 2, where Paul says, I was like a nursing mother with you. Like that type of softness. Am I making sense? Are you guys following me? Yes? yes? Okay. You can talk to my wife more about the woman aspect thing. I, uh, I don't live it like she does. Um, I just want you to be aware of the times that we're living in and how important it is to understand the beauty of distinction and complementarity, which is exactly what we find in our God, Father, Son, and Spirit, and to embrace the Bible's message for us. Okay? All right, I'll move on. That's the digression. Now we're going to come back to our theme of love, okay? Uh, God created us to live in his love. And it was this very love that you and I rejected and that we reject every day of our lives, okay? That's what sin is. Do you know what holiness is? Do you know what it is? It's not this abstract thing, like, here's holiness. You know, holiness isn't, you know, well, I, I have a tie on. You know, I'm holy now. Okay? It's not, my skirt goes all the way down to my ankles. You know, I'm holy now. It's not, that's not holiness. Holiness is love. That's exactly what Jesus said. What is the greatest commandment? On what do all commandments hang? What are they supported on? Love. Love God and love others. If you are doing something in your life that's not loving God or loving other people, you need to stop doing that. That's what holiness is. It's love. You can literally explain all of Christian ethics and all of Christian morality and all of sanctification from there. That's what we were invited into. But look at what happened in Genesis chapter 3. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, now I don't, just before we continue, I just want to bring something in. Jesus was talking to the Pharisees in John chapter 8, and he said, you are of your father the devil. And he was a what from the beginning? What was he from the beginning? Well, he was, but that's not what it says there. It's not what Jesus says there. 
He was a murderer from the beginning. A murderer from the beginning. Now, Satan never touches Eve. He never lays a finger on her. Yet he was a murderer from the beginning. Do you see the power of the word? Do you see it? Like, he is killing her right now. He is stalking her, and he will kill her without touching her. And that's why it is so important to know, you know, Robbie Zacharias. Have you heard of Robbie Zacharias? Yes. I think he's totally right when he said that the horrors of the Holocaust were birthed in the, in the universities. Like, how do you exterminate millions of people? Where does that start? It starts when you reconstruct reality. And you reconstruct it in such a way that Jews are no longer people. Literally, they're no longer people. And they did that with the word. All of those people were murdered first in the universities. You have to know these things. That's how it works. We we're doing it here at the mind and in the word. And then we just, it's just a lot, it just, that's what happens. You just live it out. He said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And can you just, you know, Satan didn't pop out of this boiling ooze of evil, you know, with snot and drool and hatred dripping off of him and say, eat of this and you're going to be like me and rot in hell forever. Okay, that's not how temptation works. Death can never sell itself as death. Death always has to sell itself as if it were life. Okay? You go to the book of Proverbs and you read, there are two women calling out, from the, calling out to the streets, calling out to the fools, the simples, to turn into them. Two women, two voices calling out. One is truth. She is wisdom, beautiful. The other is a prostitute. And her feet are in death. Her house goes down to death. But man, the way that she sells herself. Every man wants to be with that woman. It will be great. There are no consequences. I'm looking for you. Like, I want you. That's what sin does to us. That's how it presents itself to us. It's what Satan is doing with Adam and Eve here. Is this really what God said? I mean, what could be more harmless than a question? The woman said, 
We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, which isn't true. God never said that, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not die. God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Okay? This, this here is the reality that God gave Adam and Eve. Live in my love. Obey me. It's just love me. You know, Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. That's how we show God we love him, that we live in his love. We obey him. Satan has now totally put it on its head. Eating is good. This is life. And this is the irony in verse 6. The woman saw. All right, think of Genesis 1. God saw what he created and it was good. God saw what he created and it was good. Now just think of this. Verse 6. When the woman saw that the tree was good. <laughs> the one thing in the whole universe that will ruin everything. Eve now says, that's good. That is exactly how sin works in our lives. That's why it's so hard for us to see sin in our lives. We want it. That's why we need people in our lives who walk with God and can put their finger on sin in our lives. That's why we need to be in a church, you know, and not just, you know, TV it in Sunday. And not just come Sunday and then not come again until next Sunday. I mean, are any of us like right now interacting with one another? You have to be in community. That's what God wants us to be, is in community. To see one another. To know one another. I mean, our future is just like our beginning. When God created Adam and Eve and they knew each other and they were naked and unashamed. I mean, that's uncomfortable language for us. Like, does anyone here want to be naked right now and unashamed? It's that depth of intimacy, though, that God wants from us here now to live in community, to bear ourselves to other people. I am struggling here. Let me share this joy with you. To, to see, to be known. I'm really sorry I've gone over. Uh, can I have like five more minutes or maybe ten, ten more minutes? <laughs> okay. All right, he said 10, so if any of you are get upset, you can get upset at this man right here. Uh, all right, let me just have one quick digression. 
and then I want to come back to this theme again, okay? I want you to see what sin does to us. You and I were never created to deal with sin. Do you know that? Sin is not natural. We were never created to know what to do with this. How do, what do we do now that we have rejected God's love? What happens? When we sin, we will do at least one of three things. Okay? One thing that we will do is we will hide ourselves from the overwhelming sense of shame. And that's what we see beginning in verse 7. Now, wait, before we, leave, before we read, okay? You have to put yourself in the garden. And you have to put yourself in that context where God's voice, He's the one who breathed life into you. He's the one who spoke His love and life and truth into you. God Himself, the sweetest voice in the universe is going to come look for you now. <laughs> Verse 7. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And I think, I think that this is emblematic of all human religion. God, I've got this covered. I did something bad, but I can take care of this. You know? I can mend this relationship. I did something bad. I know it's bad, but I can cover this. Human religion works righteousness. I can get back into this community of love, God. I, I've got this. Verse 8. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden of the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord called to the man and said, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid. So I hid. And this is exactly what you and I do when we sin. We hide ourselves. When church members begin living in sin, they immediately separate themselves from the church. They just stop coming to church. Uh, have you ever wondered why so many crimes are committed at night? I mean, it's not just when bad people wake up. They don't want to be seen. It's shameful. That's why when they're caught, they walk with their head down. They put their hoodie on. It's shameful. We don't know what to do with this shame, so we hide ourselves. Some people are very good at putting on a, a new face when they go out in public. And they're always bubbly, and they're always Gregorious, and they're always happy-go-lucky, and they're just hiding behind this persona. 
they've been hurt, they've been abused, they've been beaten, they've been whatever, so deeply, they don't want to show that to people, so they hide. God wants to bring you out of hiding. Did you know that? <laughs> With his same voice, the same voice that scares you, with that same voice, He wants to bring you out of your hiding. <laughs> we will hide, or, number two, we will blame other people. Verse 11. He said, Who told you you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman whom you gave me, it's a conspiracy against me, I ate. He went to the woman. Did you do this? The serpent deceived me. And this is what we do. Like we, don't, we can't bear the weight of the guilt, and so we just shift it onto other people. You know? And this happens all the time. I live in Spain, and politics there are awful. And they're getting awful here in the U.S. too. And it's just childish, you know? Like, both sides agree that there's a lot of bad in the country, and they both are sure that it's the other person's fault. You know? I remember one time listening, I think it was Obama's, his uh, State of the Union address, and he said, and we, we need no more negative campaigning. And both sides stood up, and he got a standing ovation for that. And I'm like, can you not see the hypocrisy going on here? Like, you really think that they're the only ones doing negative campaigning, and, and you're, you think that they're the only ones doing negative campaigning? It's like shifting the blame, you know? You know, I'm really sorry that I did that, but you should not have done such and such. I mean, if you ask for forgiveness like that, you're not asking for forgiveness, okay? Just shifting the blame. And number three, we will try to control or dominate the other person. And this is in verse 16. And verse 16 is not God's creation. This is just him talking about the awful conflict that awaits us after sin. I will multiply your pain in childbearing, and pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband but he shall dominate you. And that's not God's good creational plan. That's him saying, this is what's going to happen. You're going to try and dominate each other, men with their force and women with the relationship. Men will beat and women will manipulate. This is what remains for us when we leave God and his love. So very quickly, and I'm, I'm, I'm sorry that it's very quickly, but very quickly, just to recap, God created us to live in his love. You and I ran away from his love. But number three, God runs after us to invite us back into his love. And just real quickly, I'd like you to go with me to Luke chapter 23. Luke chapter 23, and I could go to pretty much any page on the New Testament and find this teaching. 
But this is striking, what we find in Luke 23. So this is Jesus on the cross. And he's with two criminals. And in Luke 23, beginning in verse 39, he says, the Bible says, one of the criminals who were hanged railed at him, saying, are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, do, not fe- do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving due reward for our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said to him, Jesus, now this, just put yourself on the cross. The man's dying. You don't normally say this to someone who's dying. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. God is working in this man's heart to see something. And this is an expression of faith on his part. Remember me, dying, hanged, carpenter, Jew, when you come into your kingdom. God has opened his eyes. Verse 43, I think, is the key here. Jesus is on the cross, and he says, Today, I say, truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Now, what's so significant about what Jesus says here is that the word paradise is the same word that was used in Genesis 1 and 2 for the word garden. It's the same word. What Jesus is saying to this man, if we look at the Bible as a whole, is he's saying, today you will be with me in the garden. And that's what salvation is. Jesus, when he, he is going into death for us, and he's bringing us into his life again. He is going into our hell, and he's giving us heaven again. And that's what he's offering us this morning. I'm giving you a reality. Jesus' reality. To repent of your sins. And to come back into God's love. And be truly human. A human who lives in the warm relationship between Father, Son, and Spirit. Will you come to God this morning? Would you please pray with me? Thank you, Father, for your word. Thank you for your truth. Father, through your spirit, I ask you to work in our midst. Open our eyes to your truth. Open our eyes to your goodness. Open our eyes to your beauty. Show us how glorious you are. Thank you, Father, for being with us in your word. We pray to you, Father. We thank you. We worship you through the Son and in the Holy Spirit. Amen.